Well, good morning again. Um, we're um, going to continue on in our study of uh, Matthew. Um, just open a quick word of prayer. Lord, uh, thank you for your word, and uh, we do pray that uh, we might be blessed by hearing today. We do pray, Father, that you would uh, just uh, uh, bless the reading of your word uh, this morning and help us uh, in learning from this example of faith we're going to see this morning, too. In Jesus' name. So uh, we're continuing on in uh, Gospel of Matthew in chapter 15. Um, and this morning we're going to look at a story of desperate faith that's rewarded. Have you ever been in a situation where you're crying out to the Lord in desperation for someone you care about? Now, I can remember for myself, um, it was a little over four and a half years ago. I was brought to the point of tears. I was crying out to God in the hospital because um, uh, Christina was, my wife was in the hospital for dangerously high blood pressure at the same time as Gabriel was in the NICU for um, having some high bilirubin. And I was desperate at the time. Now in this account in Matthew 15, we have a woman who is desperately coming to the Lord on behalf of her daughter. And it's a really unique account in the Gospels today. Um, it's an encounter where the Lord Jesus actually puts a number of obstacles in someone's way, and we're going to see how she deals with them. Now, let me just read the passage, and this is uh, Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. <laughs> then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, I just want to put... Um, this account in the Gospels in a little um, geographical context because um, we're seeing here, um, Jesus actually is making a very special detour, you could say, in this passage. Now we see in Matthew 14, um, a couple chapters ago, Jesus was in the land of Gennesaret, which is on the west shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it looks like the conversation that Daniel covers in last week's passage in Matthew 15, it, it happens there, somewhere around there, where uh, Jesus is telling a parable against the Pharisees. But then suddenly in this passage, at the end of chapter 15, um, we see in verse 21, then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, we don't know if the Lord Jesus did anything else in the region of Tyre and Sidon um, besides this encounter with this woman, but it's not recorded. But uh, going on to the verse right after our passage today, in verse 29, Jesus is already heading back to the Sea of Galilee. He's heading back to Israel. 
So it may have been that the Lord's sole reason for coming to the region of Tyre and Sidon was to meet this woman. And uh, this was really no small trip because if you look at a map of um, Israel uh, during biblical times, it was probably um, maybe around 40 miles to walk to Tyre and Sidon. So if the Lord's, um, and you know, this is, and he's probably walking on foot. So if the Lord's making an 80 mile journey round trip, there must be some special reason for him coming here. We don't know how long the daughter of this woman was demon possessed, but my guess is it's been a while. It didn't just happen yesterday. We don't have any details on how exactly the demon inside her was afflicting her. We can see from other parts of the Bible that some people who were demon-possessed engaged in self-harm in some way. Just a couple of chapters later in Matthew, we see a man bring his son to the Lord, and the man says that um, the demon within the boy was causing him to be um, cast in the fire sometimes or cast into water. We really know very little about the daughter in the story, but one thing we really do see from the passage is that she is very loved by her mother. This woman is at the end of herself. She's likely tried asking many other people for help. She may have tried praying to the gods that were worshiped by the people in Tyre and Sidon. Now we see that this woman, she's a Canaanite, she's a woman of Canaan, as is mentioned in this passage. And we know from archeology, span we know from the Old Testament that the Canaanites, they worshiped uh, many different gods. This woman, she may have tried calling on the gods of her people. She may have tried making offerings to them to remove the demon from her daughter, but nothing had worked. Despite asking help from every source she knew, her daughter remained demon-possessed. <clears throat> now, it's different from being physically ill. Though demons are sometimes shown as causing some physical illness, but in a way we can see being demon-possessed as like having an incurable illness of some kind. You know, humanly speaking, there was nothing that could be done to help this girl. Just in a way of review, a demon is an extremely powerful spirit being. A demon is a fallen angel. And if you look at angels throughout the Bible, people are afraid of them. A demon is a fallen angel, and if you look at angels, uh, if you, uh, yeah, people have no power over demons, we see in the Bible, but demons can exert plenty of power over people. We see in other demon-possessed people in the Bible that they have no control over their own actions. And it's also likely in the case of this Canaanite's daughter that this girl had no free will of her own any longer, that she was subject to whatever the demon inside her wanted her to do. And there was nothing that anyone could do to help her. No one could get the demon to leave this girl. Maybe this woman spent many sleepless nights taking care of her daughter, making sure she would not harm herself. And this may have gone on for years. Now, I sometimes see patients who are kids, they may have something like a rare form of cancer that's um, caused them weakness. 
or they might have some, some other kind of chronic illness. And you know, my heart really goes out not just to the kids, but to the parents of these kids, because I've seen the parents of these kids who are chronically ill, and they're often exhausted from taking care of their children 24-7. And you know, they're heartbroken and grieving because um, they're thinking about how their child may never grow up and live a normal, independent life. I think this Canaanite woman, she was probably in a similar state of mind to some of the parents of my pediatric patients. And there was no end to her suffering or her daughter's suffering in sight. And then came some unexpected news. She started hearing about Jesus. Now back in uh, Matthew chapter 4, it says that Jesus' fame spread well past the borders of Israel because of the miracles he was doing. I'll just read uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 14. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. Now, in a parallel passage in the Gospel of Mark, it's mentioned that this woman is Syrophoenician, so she's um, Syrian by birth. So the news had come her way about what Jesus was able to do. And when she heard that the Lord Jesus was able to heal those who were demon-possessed, I think her heart must have leapt. Could this man she was hearing about possibly help her poor daughter? Now, one thing I did wonder about was um, why the Canaanite woman had not brought her daughter to the Lord herself. Um, oftentimes we read about people who are demon-possessed being brought before the Lord. In the passage I just read in Matthew 4, um, it says that people who were demon-possessed were brought to him. In Matthew 8, it says many were brought to him who were demon-possessed. And in Matthew 9 and 12, that we went over not too long ago, people who were demon-possessed were brought to the Lord. But this woman did not try to approach the Lord until now, not until the Lord had come to the region where she lived. And you know, I think it's possible that her daughter may have been so badly afflicted by the demon that um, the Canaanite woman was, un- was unable to bring her to the Lord. Maybe she wondered, how would she ever get to see the Lord Jesus to ask him to heal her daughter? There seemed no way. I mean, the Lord Jesus, he was always in Israel until this day when Jesus came to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, we'll see in this passage, this woman had a number of hurdles to overcome before the Lord grants her request. Um, You know, one difficulty she already faced was just finding the Lord. Now, it's not mentioned, it's not a detail mentioned in this passage in Matthew, but if you look at the account of this woman in uh, Mark chapter 7, um, we'll see that the Lord Jesus was actually not that easy to find when he came to Tyre and Sidon. You know, unlike how he was typically ministering Israel, you know, walking, uh, openly preaching in public places and walking through the streets, he wasn't doing that in Tyre and Sidon. It's mentioned in the account in Mark, this is uh, chapter 7, verse 24. He entered a house 
and wanted no one to know it. But the news did get out to some people at least that Jesus had come to the region. And the woman, when she hears of it, starts looking for the Lord. Now, I can picture her asking some, maybe a passerby in the street, have you seen the Lord Jesus pass this way? Which way did he go? Another hurdle we have to look at is just this woman's identity. Now, let's look at the background of this woman. It says she's a woman of Canaan, and in a parallel passage in Mark I mentioned, it says she's a Greek. She's Syrophoenician by birth. As a Canaanite, however, she was not a person who was in a position to ask anything of the Lord. And why do I say that? Well, we have to look at the Old Testament for a minute. The Canaanites were one of several peoples that the Lord had marked out for judgment in the days of Moses. And this was because of the sins they had committed, things which the Lord um, calls abominations. And we don't know everything that they did, but the Lord does mention um, in Leviticus that the, they, they practice all kinds of sexual immorality. They practice witchcraft. Um, they practice customs like offering child sacrifices to their gods. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses is telling the people of Israel how they should take possession of their land, this is what the Lord says should become the Canaanites. This is Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Gergashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Parasites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. When the Lord said there was to be no covenant with them, he did not want the Israelites to be making treaties or agreements with them or seeking to coexist with them peacefully. The Canaanites were a people who the Lord said should be completely destroyed. This was God's judgment on them for the sins they had committed. Now, when the Israelites first came into their land to possess it, there were a number of wars where a number of Canaanite kings and their cities were destroyed, but they ended up failing to carry out the Lord's instructions completely. If, the Lord, if, the, if Israel had carried out the Lord's command uh, perfectly, then this woman would not have been standing before the Lord Jesus in this passage today. Now, this woman, I'm sure, she was aware of Jewish attitudes towards um, non-Jews or Gentiles. The Lord had said to Israel in the days of Moses that they were to be a separate people. Jews were forbidden in the Old Testament from forming marriages with Gentiles, and they generally tried to have as little to do with them as possible. The Apostle Peter, years down the road in the book of Acts, um, in Acts 10, um, he's talking to a Gentile man who is a Roman centurion. He says to the centurion, um, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with 
or go to one of another nation. Peter said, you know, as, as if this is common knowledge. And coming back to this woman in Matthew 15, it wasn't just that she was a Gentile, but she was a Canaanite, a people group that the Lord had already pronounced judgment on. In her first appeal to the Lord in verse 22, she says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Now, what exactly is mercy? Mercy is where someone does not get what they deserve. The person to whom mercy is shown is fully deserving of punishment, and the person who is showing mercy has the power to deal out punishment. But a person who shows mercy has compassion for the person who is deserving of punishment and does not give the punishment that the offending person deserves. Now, maybe this Canaanite woman knew that the Old Testament said of her people that Israel was not to show mercy to them. You know, not that any of us deserves mercy from God. We're all sinners. But of all people to appear before the Lord, you could say that she was especially undeserving. And coming again to verse 23, we come to another hurdle the woman faces. It says, but he answered her not a word. The Lord doesn't answer her at all. There's just silence. And in verse 23, we also see the, the disciples, they have no compassion for her. They just see her as a nuisance and want her gone as soon as possible. You know, I'm not sure, maybe they were tired from a long day of travel. Maybe they were tired from their, um, their ministry in the past few days, and they just wanted to be left alone. Um, their attitude was probably influenced by the fact that she was a Gentile who really had no business coming to God. So this woman, she's faced with a very discouraging situation. The person she has come to beg for help from her daughter won't even talk to her, and, her, and his disciples want her, want her to go away. And then in verse 24, um, the Lord does speak to her, but things just seem to, be, to get worse. But he answered, answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Really, Jesus was saying that he was sent to help Israel. Now, Jesus didn't actually say no to her, but he's basically saying he was not there to help her. The Apostle Paul describes in the book of Ephesians a Gentile's position before God. Really, a Gentile had no position before God. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 2, verse 12, and described in the former state of Gentiles, Paul says that Gentiles were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. If you read the Old Testament, you see there are many, many promises that God makes, many, many blessings that God gives to Israel. It was a nation of Israel, not to any Gentile nation that, held, that had the a, a privileged position, you could say, before God. Paul also states in the book of Romans, in chapter 9, that 
It was to the Israelites that pertained the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. This Canaanite woman, being a Gentile, had no ability to claim those promises that God made in the Old Testament to Israel. But the woman doesn't give up. We see in verse 25, you know, then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And if you look in that passage in Mark, um, we see this woman fell at the Lord's feet. And at this point, too, um, she mentioned that, um, no, she, she worships him. She's on her knees before the Lord. And it's something we know from this verse that the woman has come to a realization of a great truth that many other people at the time did not realize. She had come to realize that Jesus was God. And we know this because from other parts of the Bible, we see that true worship is only given to God alone. And Jesus does not correct her, does not rebuke her for worshiping him. And yet another hurdle is thrown in the woman's way. Verse 26, the Lord says, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, what, what does the Lord mean by this response? Well, first, we should make sure we understand who the Lord is referring to when he's talking about children and little dogs. Now, in verse 24, Jesus had said that he was sent to help the Jewish people. He was sent to help Israel. The children then are the children of Israel, and the little dogs are Gentiles, like this woman kneeling in front of the Lord Jesus. We can say the bread is the Lord Jesus ministering to the... To, we, can the we can say the bread is the Lord Jesus' ministry. It wasn't good for him to go from serving the children of Israel, whom he was sent to, in order to minister to the Gentiles. You know, some people might have been insulted or offended by being compared to a little dog. But we see in this passage, this, this woman lowers herself before the Lord with every statement she makes, and it's like she can go no further. In verse 27, she uses the illustration the Lord uses, and she puts herself in the place of a little dog. She says, yes, Lord. She acknowledges without protest what Jesus is saying. She knows that Jesus was sent to the nation of Israel first. She knows that she is completely undeserving of the Lord's blessings as a Gentile. But she has noticed that even Gentiles have been blessed by the Lord, even though he was sent primarily to minister to Israel. Just like as she puts it, the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. You know, couldn't she, just like a little puppy enjoys table scraps from their owner's table, couldn't she receive spiritual leftovers from the Lord's ministry? Now, at first glance, it might look like the Lord's being, you know, callous and uncaring with how she treats this Canaanite woman. You know, anyone else besides this woman, this woman might have given up or been offended. But this was not who the woman believed Jesus to be. He was not unmerciful or lacking compassion. He was not just 
the God of the Jews. He was the God of the Gentiles also. Now, we see she knew at least something of the Lord Jesus' lineage. She had called him the son of David. Now, if she knew anything about King David's bloodline, maybe she knew that there were Gentiles in the Lord's bloodline. People like Ruth, King David's grandmother, who was a Moabite, or someone like Rahab the harlot, who had been from the city of Jericho. And she had also doubtless heard about how the Lord had already healed some people who were Gentiles. And going to verse 28, the Lord says something that he is never recorded as saying to anyone else. He says, a woman great is your faith. And the Lord grants the woman's request and heals her daughter. The Lord rewards the woman for the faith that she has shown in him. So how can we apply this passage in our lives? The Canaanite woman, she's a real example of how to approach the Lord. She's an example of true persistent faith. She came in faith to the Lord, and the Lord commends her in a way, like I said, he never says to anyone else, saying, great is your faith. Now, just a little review. What is faith? Biblical faith is really just taking God at his word. It's always based on God's word. I have a statement from God, and I believe it and act on it, regardless of what my circumstances around me might be indicating. It's, as Hebrews puts it, it's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Take like Abraham as an example. Abraham had faith when he believed God, when he was told that he would have many descendants, even though he and his wife Sarah were very old and there was no signs of her becoming pregnant. Real faith is persistent. Even though everything my five senses are telling me indicates something otherwise, even though all the events around me might seem to be going contrary to what God says, I'm going to believe what God says. And by the way, what was it about the Lord that the woman believed? What was her faith based on? It wasn't just that she believed the Lord had the power to save her daughter from demonic possession. She believed that the Lord could and would save her daughter. The Lord to her was not just the savior of the Jews, he was also the savior of the Gentiles. Now, I don't know if this Canaanite woman had gotten the chance to read any parts of the Old Testament. It's totally possible though, because you know, we see in the book of Acts, we, there's an Ethiopian man reading through the book of Isaiah. Now, of course, like I said, the Old Testament is mostly addressed to the nation of Israel. But then there were little, there are hints in the Old Testament that the Lord was going to minister not just to Israel, but to the Gentiles also. Maybe she had heard of a verse like Isaiah 49, verse 6, where it's prophesied regarding Jesus. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. 
Perhaps she had also heard some verses about the Lord's character. She could have heard something like Psalm 45, where the Lord is described as being gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy and good to all. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without, without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This woman didn't just believe that Jesus was God, but she also believed that he was compassionate and gracious and merciful. Based on who he was in character, it would not have been consistent with who he was if he did not heal her daughter. And you know, this, woman, this woman's example makes me examine my own attitude in coming to the Lord. If we consider that prayer is speaking with God, then we can also take this Canaanite woman as a good example of how to pray. I mentioned that verse in Hebrews 11.6 where the writer of Hebrews says that he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a reward of those who diligently seek him. Who do I believe that God is when I'm coming to him? It's not enough to actually just believe that God exists, but do I believe he's compassionate, gracious, and merciful, and that he will reward me for diligently seeking him? There's also the desperation that she cries out to the Lord for her daughter. That is, this is an example to us of crying out to the Lord for unsafe people in our own lives that we care about. Now, we may not have people in our um, lives that are demon-possessed, but um, it says of the unsaved world out there, that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. That's what First um, John says. So, am I crying out to the Lord for the salvation of people in my life with desperation like this woman? Now, one thing up um, reading this passage, you might, uh, someone may have wondered, just reading for the first time, you know, why did the Lord put the woman through all this? You know, he could have healed the woman's daughter right away. Why didn't he at least answer her from the get-go? The Lord wanted to draw out this woman's faith and test it and make it very visible. And this way, the Lord was glorified in a way that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Now, just thinking about um, in the physical world, a lot of things aren't obvious unless we test them or subject them to, to some kind of stress. I'll just to give you an example, um, in my line of work uh, as a physical therapist, um, I test people all the time. Uh, one thing I do is called a manual muscle test. Um, I'll ask someone to hold up their arm or leg, and I will push down on a little bit to see how strong or how weak a person is. And it becomes very obvious. If someone's not able to resist pressure, then um, they're obviously weak. Or if a person can resist my pressure on them, then it's very obvious they have some good muscle strength. Now, um, with the Lord, in giving this Canaanite woman a number of hurdles, he tested her faith. And the process made her faith very visible 
visible by how strong it was. And the, Lord's, the Lord was glorified more than if he had healed the, daughter's, the woman's daughter right away. Now here's something to think about in our own lives. Maybe we are undergoing a period of testing. Yeah, it seems our prayers are not being answered. Maybe hardships in health, in marriage, in a loved one's health, in unsafe family members, in children's health and hardships, in finances and employment. But like the Canaanite woman, in these kind of circumstances where we're being tested, we can have the opportunity to better display faith and glorify the Lord. And think about this week. What, you know, what promises of the Lord can you claim this week during your hardships? What aspect of the Lord's character can, can you appeal to in your time of need? Other things about this woman, too, that's an amazing example, is how she humbles herself. It is something, when we humble ourselves, the Lord has great promises for us. I'll just share a few verses in regards to humility. In the book of James, in verse 9, it's written, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And in a couple of verses in 1 Peter, in chapter 5, the apostle Peter says, Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And later in the chapter, Peter says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he, that he may exalt you in due time. Can you imagine what our prayer lives might be like if we really humbled ourselves before the Lord? Now, I can say for myself, I think too often I don't come before the Lord humbly enough in prayer. In conclusion, as we go out into this week and we seek the Lord's will, let's remember to come to the Lord in faith, believing that He is, and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And you know, this week, maybe this will be the week where the Lord might say, Matt, great is your faith. Or Renee, great is your faith. Or Don, great is your faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your um, mercies on us. Thank you, Lord, for your compassion on us. Thank you, Lord, for the example you gave of faith uh, in the verses we read, we read today, Lord. And we pray that you'd help us, um, as we're often weak in faith, help us go out this week uh, coming to you. We do pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name.